Well, good morning. Welcome to you. Are you having a good day? Yes, amen. You know, sometimes, you know, we, we can wake up and not have a very good day. Has that ever happened to you? Where it feels almost like you've woken up on the wrong side of the bed, where you just aren't feeling well, or, you know, things aren't going well. Uh, we don't always have a great day. But you know what I find? When we tell ourselves it's a good day because we're alive. God has given us breath. We're able to worship him. It's another opportunity. We get to see this new day, and his mercies are new every morning. Amen. 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 And so whenever you have a bad day, you tell yourself that and help to turn things around. Amen. Well, last week, we looked at part one of the message, Maybe It's Me. And last week, we looked at the fact that the Jewish people returned from exile, and what they came to do was to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem that had been destroyed. So when they came back, they were all excited to rebuild and, and start working, and so they started. But soon after, their enemies hindered them. They hindered their work, and so, you know, slowly the work just came to a halt. It came to a stop, and, and they, they said, you know, when things get better, then we'll continue our, our work. But over 10 years had passed, and nothing was being done. And finally, God, through his prophet Haggai, came and, and gave them a message to encourage them and to challenge them. And God even punished them by withholding the blessings that he had given them. Because instead of working on his temple and rebuilding that, they were busy beautifying and building their own homes, establishing their own lives and forgetting about God and all that he had done for them and his faithfulness. And so in last week's message, the two points that we looked at was, look at what's happening to you. God wanted them to look at what was happening to them. The, the fact that everything that they worked for, everything that they were doing meant nothing. They, they weren't accumulating anything. They weren't saving. They weren't being satisfied. They never found that it was enough because God's blessing wasn't upon it. And then after God challenged them, we looked at make a change. He wanted them to change their ways. He wanted them to, to see what was happening and then to change, to depend on him, to trust him, and to now focus on making him a priority. So in today's message, we're going to look at Haggai chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 9. If you are able to, would you stand as we read God's word? Haggai chapter 2, starting from verse 1, and this is what it says. Then on October 17th of that same year, the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Say this to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of God's people in the land. Does anyone remember this house, this temple in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. But now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. And now get to work. 
For I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. For this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. In just a little while, while I will, I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land, I will shake all the nations, and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for another opportunity that you have given us to wake up, to experience your goodness and your mercies and your blessings. And Father, I pray that you would speak to each one of us, myself included, that the words that we have read would truly resonate with us and that through your Holy Spirit, you would help us and empower us to listen, to hear, and to change. And so, God, we thank you for this time, and we commit this message now into your hands. May you have your way, and may you speak to us, your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Feel free to be seated. After God confronted his people about neglecting his work through the prophet Haggai, he encouraged them to keep going. He told them what was wrong. He told them that he was going to be with them. And he told them, and now get to work. So I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. We're going to make a change together. And now it's time for you to get to work, to keep going. In other words, don't just talk about what you're going to do. Don't just promise what you're going to do. But actually now go and do it. The people had promised that when things got better, that they would uh, go and rebuild the temple. When their enemies had stopped attacking them, when things worked out better. And now God was saying, don't just tell me all of the things that you are going to do. Go and do it. Go and do what it is that you told me you were going to do. Has anyone ever promised you that they were going to do something? That they would get something done for you or take care of something and you're still waiting for it to happen? Has that ever happened to you? You know, it's very frustrating and it's discouraging and it can be extremely disappointing when others don't keep their promise. When they don't keep their word, when they don't do what they said they were going to do. You see, I believe this is what God felt, very frustrated, disappointed, upset at the fact that his people had said over and over that they were going to do his work, that they were going to get around to rebuilding his temple, that they were going to make him a priority, but yet it still had not happened. God was waiting, and finally it came to the point of him saying, you know what? I'm going to withhold my blessings from you. They're not making me a priority, so I'm going to show them that without me, they're not able to do anything valuable and meaningful. God told them, it was time for you to get to work. 
It was time for you to do it. It's time that you do what you said you were going to do and rebuild my temple. You see, our words, unless they are backed by action, are meaningless. Our words, our promises, our commitments mean absolutely nothing if we don't intend to keep them and fulfill them. You see, we can say a lot of good things. We can promise the moon and the stars and the sun and whatever else there is. But unless we put it into action and intend to do what we said we were going to do, it means absolutely nothing. It's important that we get to work. God expects us not just to talk about things, but to actually go and do it. That means we don't just listen, we don't just hear, we don't just talk, but we go and we do. We go and we do. God tells us in James, he says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. You're only fooling yourselves. Get to work. Do what you know you should do. Do what you promised you were going to do. Do the right thing. Getting to work in our life could mean reading and studying God's word. Don't just talk about the fact that you want to read God's word and study it and, and learn more. Actually go and do it. Make it a priority in your weekly routine, in your everyday life, to set aside time to go and do it. Getting to work could mean praying consistently. Don't just say, I wish I had a regular prayer life, or one day I'm going to really have a regular prayer life. Go and do it. You don't have to spend hours at a time, but it's important that you have a regular and consistent prayer life. Get to work. Go and actually do it. Getting to work could mean fulfilling your volunteer commitments to your local church. I know that during COVID, there's a lot of things that have stopped and programs and activities that haven't continued. And so for some of you, you know, your, your volunteer position has, has stopped and, and there's no work right now. But I want to encourage you that when things start back, don't become lax. Don't just sit back and watch and hope someone else will take over. Step up and get to work. And I want to thank many of you who even during COVID have continued to carry out your volunteer ministries, who have continued to work hard. Thank you, Monica Bowen, for continuing to go through the plan to protect. That is a very tedious and time-consuming job. Thank you for doing that. Thank you to our counting team who come every week to count regularly. They continue to come on a regular basis. They continue to get to work. Thank you to those of you who are part of our telephone care team and our card ministry, who regularly call and check in on people, who send notes of encouragement and cards. Thank you for getting to work. And there are many others of you who may be doing things behind the scenes that maybe none of us know about, but I want to say thank you for getting to work. It's time to get to work. Give them a round of applause. Getting to work can also mean for us to continue to give regularly our tithes and our offerings. Continuing to give to the work of the Lord. Get to work and do it. 
Getting to work could mean helping in your home, helping around the house. If you are a young person, even if you're a child, there are responsibilities and chores that you can help with as well. Don't just expect your other family members or your parents to do it all. You can step up and help in different ways. Getting to work could mean fulfilling your responsibilities as a mother, as a father, as a husband, as a wife. Step up and start doing what you know you need to do. Start taking the responsibility that you know you need to take in that role. Getting to work could mean contributing financially to your household. It could mean helping strangers who are in need when we can. Whatever it may mean, God expects us not just to talk about it, but to do it. To get to work and to do what we can. Get to work simply means putting our faith into action. Putting our faith into action. I want to read from James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. It's not on the screen, but this is what it says. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. God tells us right there in his holy word, not just to say, but to do. When we see a need and we are able to meet it, then we should. When we know that we should do something and we have a responsibility, then we should fulfill it. Because unless we put our faith into action, it means nothing. It's useless. I could know all of the things, but unless I actually do something with it, then how am I making a difference for Christ? Unless we do something about the need, our words mean nothing. And I understand that there's not an opportunity where we can help every single person, but If we can, then we should. If we can, then we should. One day Jesus was teaching the people and the disciples came to him and said, the people are hungry and they need some food. Now Jesus was teaching them things about God. Jesus was teaching them very, very important things. But if you look at the scripture, it tells us That he stopped and he caused, he took what was there, he blessed it, and he fed the people. Why? Because he wanted to meet their immediate physical need. Because unless we show people that we care and we care about their needs, then nothing that we say or tells them really matters. People will care about what we say when we show them that we care about them. Jesus stopped and he met their physical immediate need. He didn't just say, well, you know, you can get something to eat after or, you know, I hope that you don't get too hungry or you eat later. He stopped and he met that need because it was their immediate need. He showed that he was putting faith into action. I'm proud of us as a church. 
I'm proud of us for the many ways that we strive to put our faith into action, for the many ways that you, as a congregation, have put your faith into action to meet the needs of those in our church and around. Thank you for donating food items and grocery gift cards. Thank you for donating new or gently used clothing or coats for people who are in need. Thank you for giving to disaster relief when there are global situations. Thank you for filling up shoeboxes for needy children. You see, that is putting our faith in action. That is getting to work and not just saying that we're gonna do something but doing it. Thank you for all that you have done. That's what it means to be the hands and feet of Christ, to get to work. John Wesley said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. May we strive to get to work and to do it as long as we can. Amen? So God encouraged the people to get to work. He encouraged them to go and to start rebuilding the temple again, to go and to know that he was going to help them. His temple what need, it was what represented their relationship with him. And he assured them that he would be there with him. Growing up as kids, my brothers and I didn't normally have a, a choice of whether we wanted to go out with our parents. Be, because, you know, when you're younger, you can't stay at home by yourself until you're a certain age, right? So, so we didn't have a choice. Uh, but when we reached a certain age where we were now able to stay at home by ourselves, we were able to do that more. And there would be times where our parents would go out and they would ask us, do you want to come, right? So they would say, you know, do you want to come with us? We're going here. Um, if you want, you can come. Now, normally for me, that answer depended on how my mother or father answered the next question that I was going to ask. And that question was normally, well, who's going to be there? Who, who else is going to be there, right? H have any of you ever had that where you ask, you know, who's going to be there? Maybe as an adult, you even ask that if you're invited somewhere, right? I know you don't want to admit it. That's okay. But, but you want to know who's going to be there because it does matter. So usually our parents would tell us that it doesn't matter. Like, why does it matter who's going to be there? Do you want to go or not? But you see, to me, it mattered who was going to be there. It mattered because it made a difference. It, it could change the dynamics of the gathering. It could make it better, or it could just make it okay, right? Depending on who was there. So it truly did matter to me, even though it may not have mattered to my parents or anyone else. God assured his people that he was going to be with them. He assured them that he was going to be right there with them as he had promised. You see, no matter what we encounter in this life, remember who's with you. Remember who's there. 
Over and over again, God reminds us, he assures us that he is right there with us, that he will be there no matter what we go through, no matter what we face, no matter what trials, what tribulations, what obstacles come our way, he is right there with us. And there are times where we wonder, God, are you really there? There are times where we may not feel his presence in our lives, but you can be assured, remind yourself that he says that he is right there, that he says that he will not leave me, that he says that he will walk with me through the fire, that he will walk with me through the storm, that he will be there even through the valley of the shadow of death, that I do not have to fear because God is there. Remember who's with you when you're going through difficult times. Remember who's with you when you're going through exciting times. Remember who's with you when you feel alone and discouraged. Remember that God is there. As children, sometimes they can be afraid to do certain things or even to go into a dark room. And you may have seen this with your children or grandchildren, but isn't it amazing that when you're holding them, when you're holding their hands or holding them in your arm, that they know that you love them, that they feel safe and that they feel comfortable and so that they can face whatever thing that they're facing or go through or go in, not being afraid, not being scared because they know that you're right there with them. You see, it's the same thing with God. We can have full confidence that whatever is in the room ahead, whether it's dark, whether it's scary, whether it's unknown, that God is holding us tight, that he's holding us close, and we can have full confidence because we know who's with us, because we know the one with us loves us and he won't let anything happen to us, because he is right there with us. He tells us that we don't have to be afraid. God goes with you. He stands before you and he stands behind you. He covers you on every side and we can find rest in him. He is with us. Remember that God is with you because you see it matters who's there. It makes a difference in our life when we know who is with us. In 568, in 586, sorry, BC, the armies of Babylon had destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. They had taken many of the people captive and took them. And then in 538 BC, King Cyrus decreed that the Jews could return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. So they went back and there was a lot of work that needed to be done. There was a lot that entailed rebuilding the temple. In looking around and seeing all that happened and all that needed to be done, it could easily be overwhelming. It could easily be discouraging and, and frustrating at times as well. Yet God knew that with his help, his resources, and his strength that they could do it. He told them to go and to do it because he knew that he was going to provide and he was going to help them. Although the temple currently looked nothing like it used to look in its former splendor and glory, listen to what God told them. 
in verse 9, God says, the future of this temple will be greater than its past glory. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Think about that. Did God really just say that? I want you to understand how they would have felt. So picture yourself as one who just returned to Jerusalem, and you know that one of the tasks that you have is to help to rebuild the temple. Now, for most of the people there, because they were probably born or too young and they were born in exile, they wouldn't have known what the temple previously looked like, okay? So in their minds, you know, there wasn't a big impact because they didn't know what it used to look like. So they just knew it needed to be rebuilt. But there were some who knew what the original temple looked like, okay? Stick with me here. They knew what it looked like because as children or, or even teenagers growing up, they had seen the temple and the temple was beautiful. It was marvelous. It was decadent and luxurious. It was decked out and it was just full of splendor and glorious. It was something to see. And so for those people who knew what the temple looked like, to hear God say, that it is going to be better than it used to be, was like, what? Are, are you kidding me? Like, we're going to make it look better than it used to be? It took so long, so much money, so much resources to get it to look like that. And here, we're standing in a heap of rubble. There, it, everything's been destroyed. There's just debris everywhere. And you're saying that it's going to look better? Like, they're looking around and wondering, God, did, did, did you really just say that? But you see, God knew why he was saying that. God knew exactly why. All the people needed to do was to trust, to obey, and to depend upon God, and he was going to help them to do what no one thought was possible. God knew what he was doing, and he knew that the future glory of the temple would be greater than its past glory. In the Old Testament, God's Holy Spirit was not indwelling in the lives of people yet. And so people would go to the temple to meet with God, or, or the priest would intercede on their behalf. But after Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his ascension, God sent the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to come. And the Holy Spirit today comes and he lives in each one of us. He lives in us. And so basically, if you think about it, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Are you following here? We are temples of the Holy Spirit because God's Spirit used to dwell in, in the temple that the people worshipped in, but since God's Spirit now as believers, when we accept Christ, comes and dwells in us, we are now considered temples of his Holy Spirit. So as believers, we are temples of God's Spirit. God's Spirit literally lives in us. As God said to the people in that day, as he told them, about the glory that was to come, 
about how it was going to be better, I want to declare over our lives today that what's coming is better than what's gone. What's coming for you and for me is better than anything that we could ever imagine. That it's better than anything that has gone. You may look at your life right now as the people looked around them, standing in the rubble and the debris, and say, how is that even possible? My life just looks and seems like a disaster. It seems like a mess. It seems like just a heap of rubble. It seems like there's nothing. But know that God said that it's coming and it's going to be better. I know that it's hard. I know that it's hard to pick up the pieces that have been left. I know that it's hard to one by one have to start over and to rebuild. I know that it's difficult to see a mess and to see and to think that something good can come out of it. But know that God says that what's coming is better than what's gone. What's coming for you is better than what you have experienced in the past. Let me tell you something, the things in your life now, they don't compare and the things that are coming don't compare to anything that's gone. God will make it better. He will restore, he will open doors, he will make a way, he will give you victory. It's coming and it's going to be better. I don't, I don't know what you do at home when you have old stuff, but I'll show you what I do. I'm, I'm just going to leave it here. Is, is that okay? Can you see it? No? Okay. We're going to take it up here. So I have a basket, and uh, it's not even a cardboard box, so it's a little bit bougier, right? So I have this basket, and I have old stuff in it. Like, you know, stuff that no longer fits or you no longer use or just don't ha have a need for anymore, right? And, and every time I accumulate something, I put it in this basket, and I have an intention to get rid of it, right? So on the basket, it says old stuff to get rid of. So I know that this stuff eventually, when it's full, needs to be thrown out. But I don't know if you do this. From time to time, I see the basket and I go back into it, right? Oh, you know, maybe I should use this. Or, you know, I'll probably need slippers. Winter's coming, you know, that kind of thing. I don't have to, I don't have to buy another pair. You know, so we go back into it and take it out with the intention of using it. And sometimes we do use it for a little bit, but most of the time it just ends up back into that basket, right? So the intention is good, but really it's stuff that we don't need that's just clutter, that is broken, doesn't fit, that we don't have use for, and really we should just get rid of. I think we tend to hold on to things sometimes. We tend to hold on to things for the purpose of we don't know if we're going to find something to replace it. We don't know if we're going to find something better or we don't know if, if, if we're going to come across something that we want or that we like more than that item. So we hold on to the item in order for us to make room for the new stuff in our life, we first have to get rid of the old stuff. We first have to get rid of the stuff that's just been sitting there, 
that's just been collecting dust and, and getting there. And, and follow me on this. I'm not just talking about, I'm not talking about physical stuff right now. This is symbolic of our spiritual lives, okay? It, it's symbolic of our spiritual lives. We need to get rid of the stuff that we've been holding onto that serves no purpose in our life anymore. The stuff that in fact probably hurts us more than it helps us. The stuff that we look at and from time to time go back and fill our minds again with. You see, today could be the day where you let go of and get rid of some of that old stuff. To get rid of that old stuff in order to make room for the new stuff that's coming for the new things that God is going to do, for the new blessings that are going to come your way. Do you have anything that you need to put into that basket? Do you have anything spiritually that you need to put into that basket to get rid of, that you've just been holding on to, and from time to time, you know, you leave it there, but you go back and you take it out, and, and you think you hold on to that, and, and you think that you're going to use it again, or it comes back to mind, or it comes to surface. And maybe today is the day that you need to say, God, I need to let that go. I need to put it in that basket and get rid of it for good. Let go of the hurt and the pain that they've caused you. Let go of the anger and the bitterness that you feel over that situation. Let go of the guilt and the shame you feel. Let go of the unforgiveness that you've been holding on to. Let go of the people that have caused you to stray away from God. Let go of the sin and the bad habits in your life. Let go because what's coming is better than what's gone. Let go of it. Today, we can have full confidence that God will do what he said he will do. Today, you may feel hurt and pain, but know that healing is coming. Today, you may feel discouraged, but know that there is hope that is coming. Today, you may feel worried and anxious about what tomorrow holds, but know that God will bring you peace. Today, you may feel overwhelmed by all that's happening in your life, but know that there is rest that's coming. Today, you may feel broken, but know that restoration is on its way. Today, you may feel defeated, down and out, but know that your victory is coming because what's coming is better than what's gone. God will replace all the things that we've been holding onto for so long, that we've been going back in and taking out of the basket and bringing back out to mind, and he will help us to throw it away so that we can make space for the new things that he's going to do. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18 tells us, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. And I love how the New Living Translation adds, it says, it is nothing compared to what I am going to do. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. Today, it may seem difficult. Things may seem impossible for you to do. But may you truly strive to get to work. When you remember who's with you, you can know that what's coming 
is better than what's gone. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you truly that you are the one who helps us to put our faith into action. And Lord, I pray for each one here today, myself included, that Lord, you would help us not only to say the right things and to know the right things and to have the head knowledge, but that you truly would help us to live it out, God, day to day that we truly would be your hands and feet, that we truly, God, would do what we say we're going to do and do what is pleasing to you because we know that without putting our faith into action, it's meaningless, it's dead, it doesn't make a difference. And so we pray that you would help us. And God, as we go and we do your work and as we get to work, Father, remind us that your presence goes before us that you stand behind us and that you cover us on all sides. We thank you, oh God, that we can know for certain that you are right there, that as believers, we have the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. And so God, may you remind us who's there because it does make a difference in our lives. And Father, we pray that you would help us Help us to look and to search us and to see the things in our lives that we need to get rid of, the things that we need to let go of and to, to, to just give away and to, to throw away in order to make space for the new things that you are doing. And Father, may people symbolically release things, oh God, anger, pain, bitterness, unforgiveness, hurt, that you would just help us to let all of that go because we know that you're going to replace it with love, joy, peace, patience, all of the fruit of your spirit. And so Father, help us. Help us to live lives that are holy, that are pleasing to you, lives that honor you in everything that we say and everything that we do. And we pray and we declare that what is coming is better than what's gone. In the powerful name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.